0: Chapter Twenty Seven, Part A, of The Mystery of the Yellow Room. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. C. Guan. The Mystery of the Yellow Room by Gaston Leroux. Chapter Twenty Seven, Part A, in which Joseph Rouletabille appears in all his glory. The excitement was extreme. Cries from fainting women were to be heard amid the extraordinary bustle and stir. The majesty of the law was utterly forgotten. The president tried in vain to make himself heard. Rouletabille made his way forward with difficulty, but, by dint of much elbowing, reached his manager and greeted him cordially. The letter was passed to him, and, pocketing it, he turned to the witness-box— he was dressed exactly as on the day he left me, even to the ulster over his arm. Turning to the President, he said, I beg your pardon, Monsieur President, but I have only just arrived from America. The steamer was late. My name is Joseph Rouletabille." The silence, which followed his stepping into the witness-box, was broken by laughter when his words were heard. "'Everybody seemed relieved and glad to find him there, "'as if in the expectation of hearing the truth at last. "'But the President was extremely incensed. "'So you are Joseph Roule d'Abeille,' he replied. "'Well, young man, I'll teach you what comes of making a farce of justice. "'By virtue of my discretionary power, I hold you at the court's disposition.' "'I ask nothing better, Monsieur Président.' "'I have come here for that purpose. "'I humbly beg the court's pardon "'for the disturbance of which I have been the innocent cause. "'I beg you to believe that nobody has a greater respect "'for the court than I have. "'I came in as I could,' he smiled. "'Take him away,' ordered the President. "'Maitre Henri Robert intervened. "'He began by apologizing for the young man.' who, he said, was moved only by the best intentions. He made the President understand that the evidence of a witness who had slept at the Glandier during the whole of that eventful week could not be omitted, and that the present witness, moreover, had come to name the real murderer. "'Are you going to tell us who the murderer was?' asked the President, somewhat convinced, though still sceptical. "'I have come for that purpose, Monsieur Président.' replied Rouletabille. An attempt at applause was silenced by the usher. Joseph Rouletabille, said Maître Henri Robert, has not been regularly subpoenaed as a witness, but I hope, Monsieur President, you will examine him in virtue of your discretionary powers. Very well, said the President. We will question him, but we must proceed in order. The Advocate-General rose. "'It would perhaps be better,' he said, "'if the young man were to tell us now whom he suspects.' The President nodded ironically. "'If the Advocate-General attaches importance to the deposition of M. Joseph Rouletabille, "'I see no reason why this witness should not give us the name of the murderer.' A pin-drop could have been heard. Rouletabille stood silent, looking sympathetically at Darzac who, for the first time since the opening of the trial, showed himself agitated. "'Well,' cried the President, "'we wait for the name of the murderer.' Rouletabille, feeling in his waistcoat pocket, drew his watch, and, looking at it, said, Monsieur President, I cannot name the murderer before half past six o'clock.' Loud murmurs of disappointment filled the room. Some of the lawyers were heard to say, "'He's making fun of us!' "'The President, in a stern voice, said, "'This joke has gone far enough. "'You may retire, Monsieur, into the witnesses' room. "'I hold you at our disposition.' "'Rouletabille protested. "'I assure you, Monsieur Président,' he cried in his sharp, clear voice, "'that when I do name the murderer, "'you will understand why I could not speak before half-past six. "'I assert this on my honour. "'I can, however,' give you now some explanation of the murder of the keeper. M. Frédéric Larsan, who has seen me at work at the Grandier, can tell you with what care I studied this case. I found myself compelled to differ with him in arresting Monsieur Robert d'Arzac, who is innocent. Monsieur Larsan knows of my good faith, and knows that some importance may be attached to my discoveries, which have often corroborated his own. Frédéric Larson said, Monsieur President, it will be interesting to hear Monsieur Joseph Rouletabille, especially as he differs from me. A murmur of approbation greeted the detective's speech. He was a good sportsman and accepted the challenge. The struggle between the two promised to be exciting. As the president remained silent, Frederic Larsan continued. We agree that the murderer of the keeper was the assailant of Mademoiselle Stangerson. "'But as we are not agreed as to how the murderer escaped, "'I am curious to hear M. Rouletabille's explanation.' "'I have no doubt you are,' replied my friend. "'General Laughter followed this remark. "'The President angrily declared that if it was repeated "'he would have the court cleared. "'Now, young man,' said the President, "'you have heard M. Frédéric Larson. "'How did the murderer get away from the court?' Rouletabille looked at Madame Mathieu.' "'who smiled back at him sadly. "'Since Madame Mathieu,' he said, "'has freely admitted her intimacy with the keeper?' "'Why, it's the boy!' exclaimed Dati Mathieu. "'Remove that man!' ordered the President. Mathieu was removed from the court. Rouletabille went on. "'Since she has made this confession, "'I am free to tell you that she often met the keeper at night "'on the first floor of the donjon.' in the room which was once an oratory. These meetings became more frequent when her husband was laid up by his rheumatism. She gave him morphine to ease his pain, and to give herself more time for the meetings. Madame Mathieu came to the château that night, enveloped in a large black shawl, which served also as a disguise. This was the phantom that disturbed Daddy Jacques. She knew how to imitate the mewing of Mother Agenoux's cat, and she would make the cries to advise the keeper of her presence. The recent repairs of the donjon did not interfere with their meetings in the keeper's old room, in the donjon, since the new room assigned to him at the end of the right wing was separated from the steward's room by a partition only. Previous to the tragedy in the courtyard, Madame Mathieu and the keeper left the donjon together. I learnt these facts from my examination of the footmarks in the court the next morning. Bernier, the concierge, whom I had stationed behind the donjon, as he will explain himself, could not see what passed in the court. He did not reach the court until he heard the revolver shots, and then he fired. When the woman parted from the man, she went towards the open gate of the court, while he returned to his room. He had almost reached the door when the revolvers rang out, He had just reached the corner when the shadow bounced by. Meanwhile, Madame Mathieu, surprised by the revolver-shots and by the entrance of people into the court, crouched in the darkness. The court is a large one, and, being near the gate, she might easily have passed out unseen. But she remained and saw the body being carried away. In great agony of mind, she neared the vestibule, and saw the dead body of her lover on the stairs, lit up by Daddy Jacques's lantern. She then fled, and Daddy Jacques joined her. That same night, before the murder, Daddy Jacques had been awakened by the cat's cry, and looking through his window, had seen the black phantom. Hastily dressing himself, he went out and recognized her. He is an old friend of Madame Mathieu, and when she saw him, She had to tell him of her relations with the keeper, and begged his assistance. Daddy-Jacques took pity on her, and accompanied her through the oak grove out of the park, past the border of the lake to the road to Epinay. From there it was but a very short distance to her home. Daddy-Jacques returned to the château, and seeing how important it was for Madame Mathieu's presence at the château to remain unknown, he did all he could to hide it. I appeal to Monsieur Larsan who saw me next morning examine the two sets of footprints. Here, Rouletabille turning towards Madame Mathieu with a bow said, The footprints of Madame bear a strange resemblance to the neat footprints of the murderer. Madame Mathieu trembled and looked at him with wide eyes as if in wonder at what he would say next. Madame has a shapely foot, long, and rather large for a woman. The imprint, with its pointed toe, is very like that of the murderers. A movement in the court was repressed by Rouletabille. He held their attention at once. I hasten to add, he went on, that I attach no importance to this. Outward signs like these are often liable to lead us into error, if we do not reason rightly. M. Robert d'Arzac's footprints are also like the murderers, "'and yet he is not the murderer.' "'The President, turning to Madame Mathieu, asked, "'Is that in accordance with what you know occurred?' "'Yes, Monsieur President,' she replied. "'It is as if Monsieur Vroultabay had been behind us.' "'Did you see the murderer running towards the end of the right wing?' "'Yes, as clearly as I saw them afterwards carrying the keeper's body.' "'What became of the murderer?' "'You were in the courtyard,' And could easily have seen. I saw nothing of him, Monsieur President. It became quite dark just then. Then, Rouletabille, said the President, must explain how the murderer made his escape. Rouletabille continued. It was impossible for the murderer to escape by the way he had entered the court without our seeing him. Or, if we couldn't see him, we must certainly have felt him since the court is a very narrow one enclosed in high iron railings. Then, if the man was hemmed in that narrow square, how is it you did not find him? I have been asking you that for the last half-hour. Monsieur Président, replied Rouletabille, I cannot answer that question before half-past six. By this time the people in the courtroom were beginning to believe in this new witness. They were amused, by his melodramatic action in thus fixing the hour. But they seemed to have confidence in the outcome. As for the President, it looked as if he also made up his mind to take the young man in the same way. He had certainly been impressed by Rouletabille's explanation of Madame Mathieu's part. "'Well, Monsieur Rouletabille, he said, "'as you say, but don't let us see any more of you before half-past six rouletabille bowed to the president and made his way to the door of the witness's room i quietly made my way through the crowd and left the court almost at the same time as rouletabille he greeted me heartily and looked happy i'll not ask you my dear fellow i said smiling what you've been doing in america because i've no doubt you'll say you can't tell me until after half-past six no my dear sinclair i'll tell you right now why I went to America. I went in search of the name of the other half of the murderer. The name of the other half? Exactly. When we last left the Glandier, I knew there were two halves to the murderer, and the name of only one of them. I went to America, for the name of the other half. I was too puzzled to answer. Just then, we entered the witness's room, and Rouletabille was immediately surrounded. He showed himself very friendly to all except Arthur Rance, to whom he exhibited a marked coldness of manner. Frédéric Larson came in also. Rouletabille went up and shook him heartily by the hand. His manner toward the detective showed that he had got the better of the policeman. Larson smiled and asked him what he had been doing in America. Rouletabille began by telling him some anecdotes of his voyage. They then turned aside together, apparently with the object of speaking confidentially. I, therefore, discreetly left them, and, being curious to hear the evidence, returned to my seat in the courtroom, where the public plainly showed its lack of interest in what was going on in their impatience for Rouletabille's return at the appointed time. On the stroke of half-past six, Joseph Rouletabille was again brought in. It is impossible for me to picture the tense excitement which appeared on every face as he made his way to the bar. Darzac rose to his feet, frightfully pale. The president, addressing Courtabet, said gravely, "'I will not ask you to take the oath, because you have not been regularly summoned, but I trust there is no need to urge upon you the gravity of the statement you are about to make.' rouletabille looked at the president quite calmly and steadily in the face and replied yes monsieur at your last appearance here said the president we have arrived at the point where you were to tell us how the murderer escaped and also his name now monsieur rouletabille we await your explanation very well monsieur began my friend amidst a profound silence I had explained how it was impossible for the murderer to get away without being seen. And yet he was there with us in the courtyard. And you did not see him? At least that is what the prosecution declares. No, we all of us saw him, Monsieur le Président, cried Rouletabille. Then why was he not arrested? Because no one, besides myself, knew that he was the murderer. It would have spoiled my plans to have had him arrested, and I had then no proof other than my own reasoning. I was convinced we had the murderer before us, and that we were actually looking at him. I have now brought what I consider the indisputable proof. Speak out, monsieur. Tell us the murderer's name. You will find it on the list of names present in the court on the night of the tragedy, replied Rouletabille. The people present in the courtroom began showing impatience. Some of them even called for the name, and were silenced by the usher. "'The list includes Daddy Jacques, Bernier de Concierge, and Mr. Arthur Rance,' said the President. "'Do you accuse any of these?' "'No, monsieur.' "'Then I do not understand what you are driving at. There was no other person at the end of the court.' "'Yes, monsieur.' "'There was, not at the end.' but above the court, who was leaning out of the window. "'You mean Frédéric Larson?' exclaimed the President. "'Yes, Frédéric Larson,' replied Rouletabille in a ringing tone. "'Frédéric Larson is the murderer.' The courtroom became immediately filled with loud and indignant protests. So astonished was he that the President did not attempt to quiet it. The quick silence which followed was broken by the distinctly whispered words from the lips of Robert d'Arzac. "'It's impossible! He's mad!' "'You dare to accuse Frédéric Larsan, monsieur?' asked the President. "'If you are not mad, what are your proofs?' "'Proofs, monsieur? Do you want proofs?' "'Well, here is one,' cried Rouletabille shrilly. "'Let Frédéric Larsan be called. "'Usher, call Frédéric Larson.' The usher hurried to the side door, opened it, and disappeared. The door remained open, while all eyes turned expectantly towards it. The clerk reappeared, and, stepping forward, said, "'Monsieur Président, Frédéric Larson is not here. He left at about four o'clock, and has not been seen since.' "'That is my proof,' cried Rouletabille triumphantly. "'Explain yourself?' demanded the President." "'My proof is Larsan's flight,' said the young reporter. "'He will not come back. "'You will see no more of Frédéric Larson. "'Unless you are playing with the court, monsieur, "'why did you not accuse him when he was present? "'He would then have answered you.' "'He could give no other answer "'than the one he has now given by his flight. "'We cannot believe that Larsan has fled. "'There was no reason for his doing so. "'Did he know you'd make this charge?' "'He did.' "'I told him I would. "'Do you mean to say that knowing Larson was the murderer "'you gave him the opportunity to escape?' "'Yes, Monsieur President, I did,' replied Rouletabille proudly. "'I am not a policeman. "'I am a journalist, and my business is not to arrest people. "'My business is in the service of truth, "'and is not that of an executioner. "'If you are just, Monsieur, you will see that I am right.' You can now understand why I refrained until this hour to divulge the name. I gave Arsene time to catch the 417 train for Paris, where he would know where to hide himself, and leave no traces. You will not find Frédéric Larson,' declared Rouletabille, fixing his eyes on Monsieur Robert d'Arzac. "'He is too cunning. He is a man who has always escaped you, and whom you have long searched for in vain.' If he did not succeed in outwitting me, he can yet easily outwit any police. This man, who four years ago introduced himself to the Sûreté, and became celebrated as Frédéric Larsan, is notorious under another name, a name well known to crime. Frédéric Larson, Monsieur President, is Balmayer. Balmayer! cried the President. Balmayer! exclaimed Robert d'Arzac, springing to his feet, "'Balmeyer! It was true, then!' "'Ah, Monsieur Darsac, you don't think I am mad now!' cried Rouletabille. "'Balmeyer! Balmeyer! No other word could be heard in the courtroom!' The President adjourned the hearing. Those of my readers who may not have heard of Ballmayer will wonder at the excitement the name caused. And yet, the doings of this remarkable criminal form the subject matter of the most dramatic narratives of the newspapers and criminal records of the past twenty years. It had been reported that he was dead, and thus had eluded the police as he had eluded them throughout the whole of his career. Balmayer was the best specimen of the high-class gentleman swindler. He was adept at sleight-of-hand tricks, and no bolder or more ruthless crook ever lived. He was received in the best society, and was a member of some of the most exclusive clubs. On many of his depredatory expeditions, he had not hesitated to use the knife and the mutton bone. No difficulty stopped him, and no operation was too dangerous. He had been caught, but escaped on the very morning of his trial, by throwing Pepper into the eyes of the guards who were conducting him to court. It was known later that in spite of the keen hunt after him by the most expert of detectives, he had sat, that same evening, at a first performance in the Théâtre Francais, without the slightest disguise. He left France later, to work, America. The police there succeeded in capturing him once, but the extraordinary man escaped the next day. It would need a volume to recount the adventures of this master criminal, and yet this was the man Rouletabille had allowed to get away. Knowing all about him, and who he was, he afforded the criminal an opportunity for another laugh at the society he had defied. I could not help admiring the bold stroke of the young journalist, because I felt certain his motive had been to protect both Mademoiselle Stangerson and Red Darzac of an enemy at the same time. The crowd had barely recovered from the effect of the astonishing revelation when the hearing was resumed. The question in everybody's mind was, admitting that Larsan was the murderer, how did he get out of the yellow room? Rouletabille was immediately called to the bar and his explanation continued. "'You have told us,' said the President, "'that it was impossible to escape from the end of the court. "'Since Larson was leaning out of his window, "'he had left the court. "'How did he do that?' "'He escaped, by a most unusual way. "'He climbed the wall, sprang onto the terrace, "'and while we were engaged with the keeper's body, "'reached the gallery by the window.' He then had little else to do than to open the window, get in, and call out to us, as if he had just come from his own room. To a man of Belmayer's strength, all that was a mere child's play. And here, monsieur, is the proof of what I say. Rouletabille drew from his pocket a small packet, from which he produced a strong iron peg. This, monsieur, is a spike— which perfectly fits a hole still to be seen on the cornice supporting the terrace. Larson, who thought and prepared for everything in case of any emergency, had fixed this spike into the cornice. All he had to do to make his escape good was to plant one foot on a stone which is placed at the corner of the chateau, another on this support, one hand on the cornice of the keeper's door, and the other on the terrace." and larsan was clear of the ground the rest was easy his acting after dinner as if he had been drugged was make-believe he was not drugged but he did drug me of course he had to make it appear as if he also had been drugged so that no suspicion should fell on him for my condition had i not been thus overpowered larsan would never have entered mademoiselle stangerson's chamber that night and the attack on her would not have taken place.' A groan came from Darzac, who appeared to be unable to control his suffering. "'You can understand,' added Rouletabille, "'that Larsan could feel himself hampered from the fact that my room was so close to his, and from a suspicion that I would be on the watch that night. Naturally, he could not for a moment believe that I suspected him. But I might see him leaving his room when he was about to go to Mademoiselle Stangerson.' I waited till I was asleep, and my friend Saint Clair was busy trying to rouse me. Ten minutes after that, Mademoiselle was calling out murder. "'How did you come to suspect Larson?' asked the President. My pure reason pointed to him. That was why I watched him. But I did not foresee the drugging. He is very cunning. Yes, my pure reason pointed to him. BUT I REQUIRE TANGIBLE PROOF SO THAT MY EYES COULD SEE HIM AS MY PURE REASON SAW HIM. WHAT DO YOU MEAN BY YOUR PURE REASON? THAT POWER OF ONE'S MIND, WHICH ADMITS OF NO DISTURBING ELEMENTS TO A CONCLUSION. THE DAY FOLLOWING THE INCIDENT OF THE INEXPLICABLE GALLERY, I FELT MYSELF LOSING CONTROL OF IT. I HAD ALLOWED MYSELF TO BE DIVERTED BY fallacious EVIDENCE, BUT I RECOVERED AND AGAIN TOOK HOLD OF THE RIGHT END. I satisfied myself that the murderer could not have left the gallery, either naturally or supernaturally. I narrowed the field of consideration to that small circle, so to speak. The murderer could not be outside that circle. Now who was in it? There was first the murderer. Then there were Daddy Jacques, Monsieur Stangerson, Frédéric Larson, and myself, five persons in all, counting in the murderer and yet, in the gallery, there were but four. Now, since it had been demonstrated to me that the fifth could not have escaped, it was evident that one of the four present in the gallery must be a double. He must be himself, and the murderer also. Why had I not seen this before? Simply because the phenomenon of the double personality had not occurred before in this inquiry. Now, Who of the four persons in the gallery was both that person and the assassin? I went over in my mind what I had seen. I had seen, at one and at the same time, Monsieur Stangerson and the murderer, Daddy Jacques and the murderer, myself and the murderer, so that the murderer then could not be either Monsieur Stangerson, Daddy Jacques, or myself. Had I seen Frédéric Larson and the murderer at the same time? No. Two seconds had passed, during which I lost sight of the murderer. For, as I have noted in my papers, he arrived two seconds before Monsieur Stangerson, Daddy Jacques, and myself at the meeting-point of the two galleries. That would have given Larson time to go through the off-turning gallery, snatch off his false beard, return, and hurry with us, as if like us, in pursuit of the murderer. I was sure now I had got hold of the right end in my reasoning. With Frédéric Larson was now always associated in my mind the personality of the unknown of whom I was in pursuit—the murderer, in other words. End of chapter 27, part A.